Brian Danielson and Adam Cole to AEW confirmed. We talk about that and review all out next on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, let's get right down to the closing moments of All Out. You know, Kenny Omega wins the main event, which we'll talk about a little bit later on the show. And he cuts a promo. No one could beat him. No one's up to my level. Yada, yada, yada. The crowd's chanting yes, 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 because they heard the rumors. They read the dirt sheets. Daniel Bryan's coming. Lights go out. Oh, shit. We're getting the American Dragon. Nope, we're getting Adam Cole, baby. He comes out, crowd's going nuts. He stares down the young bucks, Kenny Omega. They play along with the BTE storyline. You know, remember what you did to me? You know, basically killing him off the show. Then he super kicks Jungle Boy. Everybody's hugging. They got the whole curtain call going on with the elite. And Adam Cole does story time and, you know, how this is all great for them. And then all of a sudden... Flight of the Valkyries comes out. Daniel Bryan, now known back to his real name as Bryan Danielson, is all elite. This is a seismic shift, Ralph. This, like A couple weeks ago, I mentioned that Vince McMahon would never regret someone leaving the company unless it was like a Hall or Nash type move. This is a Hall or Nash type move. This is huge. Huge, huge, huge. AEW is here to stay, and they are going to be big players in the pro wrestling industry. Yeah, and what we got last night was really them going to the past in guys like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan Danielson, Daniel Bryan, whatever you want to call him, uh, going to the past and trying to attract some of the fans maybe from WWE that followed those guys, but also looking to the future because, you know, Adam Cole, while he may have had some matches on the main roster, I think he was in a Royal Rumble. He had a match on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. He never really got that chance to go up to the main roster and do much of anything. Now, right. what led to his decision other than his friends being in AEW and it being a really hot program? Um, we may find that out within the next coming months or a couple of years, and and he'll, I'm sure he'll reveal all the reasons why he decided to go to AEW. Um, but they're really building their future with guys like this who are coming fresh off NXT or fresh off the indie scene, and and fans are into it, and there's a vibe there, right. and there's definitely like some type of pulse that you can put your finger on because mm-hmm. you know it's not like he entered the room or entered the arena there and it was just like crickets. They went nuts for him. They went right along with the Adam Cole baby. They popped big when his name came up on the screen. And as you pointed out, this is a huge shift in the uh, the atmosphere of pro wrestling right now because when you have somebody like Tony Khan, who one is a billionaire, and it seems like they're having some success because they can offer contracts that are at least appealing enough to draw these guys away from the WWE. Right. But you also have television, and you also have distribution, and you also have the machine like TNT behind you, this is now where WWE is going to start to see some type of competition. And it doesn't necessarily mean head to head, like they're on the same night, like the Monday night wars, but just in terms of attracting different talent contracts, um, allowing guys to work in new Japan or, you know, live stream their own Twitch, whatever it may be. That's where the competition is going to matter most to some of these guys. And that's why I think we're going to see a bunch more guys go back and forth between both companies over the next, you know, how many years going forward. Right. And, you know, obviously people are going to be talking about this and see what Vince does to either counteract or, you know, is he too far out of touch? Is he too old to compete with AEW with all these moves? 
We know NXT is getting a huge makeover with their whole uh, Lisa Frank type freaking color scheme there and, you know, revamping what the NXT developmental program is going to be. You know, is it going to work? You know, or is he too far gone and, you know, he's got the wrong people around him? He doesn't have Pat Patterson around him anymore. NXT doesn't have Dusty Rhodes around anymore. So can they build and counteract with AEW or is AEW have too much momentum right now? Uh, AEW has a lot of momentum right now. I think in the immediate future, there's really not a whole lot that WWE can do. Um, I mean, what, honestly, what what can they do? That we know that Brock Lesnar's back. Yep. It's not like they can call. Um, look, their way of reacting to maybe Brian Danielson going to AEW would have been having, you know, Adam Cole debut on the main roster. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen. We right. know that th- some of the top tier talent that we saw in NXT go up through the ranks, go to the main roster, and now has has left and gone to AEW or elsewhere. So it's not like you can necessarily call one name up from NXT to be that guy that's going to really be the immediate reaction to to or the counter-strike to something like this. I don't think there's anything in the near future that they can do. They're just going to have to hope that whatever NXT ends up being, they can find that next big star. I've always been adamant that I think Riddle can be a guy, and I think that him and Ar- uh, and Randy Orton and RK Bro can be successful. Um, he's just not a guy that's going to be the answer to somebody like an Adam Cole or Brian Danielson right now. So near future, at least Adam Cole. I will say Adam Cole. I think he, he Adam Cole. I think in WWE, and this is part of the reason why he probably left was. He was not going to be a main eventer. He was not going to main event no. WrestleMania. He's not going to be a top guy. He could be a, a, a good hand. He could be an upper mid-tier guy. He'll get some WWE and Universal Championship matches, but he was not going to be the top guy. Now, in AEW, he doesn't necessarily have to be that guy. In WWE, he probably he had to be that guy. You know? So if I'm if I'm Adam Cole. I, I have all the value right now, and I went with wh- whoever's going to give me the best value in my contract, not just monetarily, but work-life balance and yeah. you know having my hobbies, doing my Twitch, and AEW is going to offer them more. I mean, the reports even said it. The Twitch thing was a huge thing for him, and if Vince McMahon is not going to bend on freaking Twitch, I mean, that's a problem. But at the same time, it's like, Vince has got to think to himself, is Adam Cole that big of a guy that I'm willing to do that? And the answer, obviously, is no. Because Vince, you, look, yeah. you look at him, and it's like, even Shawn Michaels in 95 was 30 pounds heavier than Adam Cole is today. I can't use him. That's, that's probably how Vince you know, thinks of it, as I understand this guy wants to be here, but based on what I've seen from him and look at him, he's about here at the most. And you really have to do something special to break that glass ceiling. And outside of another yes movement, it's not happening. And I told you this before we started recording. The guy that I think is going to be most disappointed out of all of this, all of the fallout that we've seen over the last, let's say, six months, to me has got to be Triple H. Because Triple Mm -hmm. H positioned himself uh, and NXT in a way where NXT certainly overachieved, right? I I don't think anybody really had any idea that NXT was going to be the go-to brand for, you know, the hardcore fan. I think it got a lot bigger than 
they thought it was going to be. And I think the reason for that was because they had guys like Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, uh, Alistair Black, like the core guys that you you saw make uh, NXT successful. Many of them have gone to the main roster and now left and gone elsewhere or gone to AEW. And some of them, especially a guy like Adam Cole, who certainly seems like he's poised for a very bright future and a guy like uh, Alistair Black or Malachi Black, seems like he's going to have a very bright future. Now, who knows what's going to happen with Andrade? I mean, he's certainly positioned in a way that seems uh, like he's going to find more success in AEW, but to go to Triple H and say, you know what, you did a great job with NXT, um, and just to see continuously see these guys deflect and go elsewhere and just find success has got to be frustrating for him, but also frustrating because now they're going to him and they're like, yeah, we need you to repackage this. We need you to make it successful again. And it's like, you know, that's got to be frustrating. And I think right. Vince somewhere needs to sit back and look around the room and say, okay, things have changed. Maybe the fan base, because something's going to happen in the next couple of months. We're really going to see with the ratings and the numbers, are fans going to be dedicated and loyal to WWE seeing these people just continue to leave and go to AEW? And are they going to switch the channel and start to watch AEW? And Vince is going to have to sit back and say, okay, do I not understand the fan base? Is this not what fans want anymore? And who am I surrounding myself with? You know, he's listening to guys like, the uh, Nick Khan and he's listening to guys like Bruce Pritchard and all these things. And you hear all these stories. Only Vince McMahon knows the conversations that those guys have behind closed doors. I, uh, the rest of us, we could say whatever we want. We could read all the dirt sheets. We're only speculating, right? But he's got to look at the guys around him who are telling him that's not a main event guy. That guy's not a main event player. That guy can't be anything here in WWE. And he's got to say, maybe I'm not surrounded by the right guys because obviously AEW is doing something right. If the talent continues to leave WWE and go elsewhere, that's certainly not a good look for the WWE or Vince McMahon. It's just not. Right. And I think part of what happened, especially with, with the NXT that we all know and love, is Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan got organically over in 2013 and 2014 that led to Yeslemania and the Yes movement. And I think it got Vince thinking, you know, this is an indie darling. Let's try to hoard all the indie talent because they all want to come to WWE. There's no other player here. So we just give them a contract. We'll put them in NXT to kind of tweak them to be TV ready. And then they will be superstars. It didn't happen for a majority of them. I mean, outside of Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and AJ Styles, who really was an indie darling, got to the main roster and had a, a pretty decent run on the main roster. Nobody. It, it, no. I mean, I'm sure someone's going to try to throw a couple names in the comments, but I, I probably would disagree with the majority of those that you try to put out there. And now what Vince is going to say is, listen, the last big, big like era that we had was the ruthless aggression era. And what happened in the ruthless aggression era? We realized we we're going to lose Austin. We realized we we're going to lose the rock Undertaker is getting older, so we need to build for the future. We're not going to do that with any darlings because that was, wasn't a thing yet in 2002. So who we got? We got Cena, Orton, Lesnar, and Batista. All guys with like less than two years independent scene uh, experience, and we made them all megastars. That's what they're trying to do now with this new NXT. Guys like Bronson Steiner. Uh, Parker Bardot, they just signed Gable Steveson. These are the guys that 
they're banking on to be that core four that they had in the ruthless aggression era. You're not going to get that with Johnny Gargano. You're not going to get that with Tommaso Ciampa. And unfortunately, you weren't going to get that with Adam Cole. So move on from that. And that's what they had to do. It sucks, but Adam Cole obviously is already better than where he was in NXT because, you know, the glass ceiling was there, and he's going to make a name for himself in AEW. And Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, obviously, you know, they tried. They really tried, but obviously there was something just didn't click with what Vince wanted him to do and what Brian Danielson wanted to do, and now he's in AEW. But yeah. Vince might see that and be like, listen, this guy's in his 40s. He might be a short-term answer, but long-term, I think we're, we're going in the right direction. That's what Vince is probably thinking right now. I, I mean, we could all say he's panicking. We could all say that he might be out of touch, but we won't know probably for another three or four years. That's the thing. Yeah, and I, you know, it's as awesome as last night was. There certainly is a part of me that's kind of upset and disappointed because you know, growing up watching the WWE and growing up uh, watching so many of these guys be successful on the main roster, you know, you you hope that a guy like an Adam Cole or or a, a Brian Danielson, and I know Brian Danielson did get certain opportunities, including this year, guys like that, you that you would hope would main event like a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam in front of all those people. It's like, you know, you, you, you may not get that. They're going to go in AEW. They're going to be successful. They're going to perform in front of a huge fan base. I'm sure as it continues to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but just growing up and thinking that, you know, the pinnacle of pro wrestling is to main event WrestleMania. That, that was a big reason why CM Punk left WWE because he wasn't given that opportunity. And to, to think that those things may never happen for some of those guys unless, you know, they decide to go back, it, it kind of stinks too. But at the same time, you look forward to what they're going to do in AEW because as we've talked about, things have certainly changed and things have shifted, maybe in AEW's favor in some certain way. Um, but I guess only the the coming months and years are going to dictate that. Now you, t- you bring up the opportunities that WWE were not given some of these guys. And that's why CM Punk left. Adam Cole probably wasn't getting at those. That's why he left, you know, with these guys coming to AEW, you know, that also means that some guys probably look like they were going to get that opportunity, might not get those anymore, you know, and yeah. that could lead to some of these guys leaving AEW to go to WWE, you know, and one guy that I think you have to keep your eye on, and it sucks because it's just bad timing of what happened in his personal life that led to him not being it all out is Hangman Page. You got to keep an eye on him because what do they do with him when he comes back? Is the momentum from Daniel Bryan and CM Punk so big that now you put Hangman Page on the back burner and, as I like to coin the term, Stromanize him where – now you don't pull the trigger on him because we know CM Punk and Daniel Bryan draw, but Hangman, uh, I don't know yet. Even though he's monsterly over, there's just not that sample size yet. So do you not pull the trigger on it because of the unknown? And then eventually he's pissed off. He leaves. He goes to WWE. A guy like Wardlow, a guy like MJF. Do they start, you know, do they think like the hell they got Daniel Bryan, they got CM Punk. Am I, Am I now, at one point, a main eventer now going to be an upper mid-carder? Who knows? 
Yeah. And we always talk about this on the show. And I think Jim Ross and Eric Bischoff comment on it all the time. You know, wrestling, there's two things that really attract the talent, creative and cash. Um, WWE can certainly offer the cash, at least for right now. Uh, Are they willing to offer the creative? But to your point, I think there still is a way out of the debacle that they've kind of gotten themselves into with Adam Hangman Page. I think their next big pay-per-view is in November. Yep. November 13th, Um, full gear. I think the the direction that they should go with this is, um, you know, if if Adam Cole is going to be there long term and the storyline behind that whole thing was they kicked him out of the Bullet Club. If Kenny loses the title to Hangman, maybe Adam Cole turns on on Kenny Omega uh, and he becomes the leader of the elite. And now those two can feud CM Punk and Daniel uh, Brian Danielson. I keep saying Daniel Bryan. they can they can work their way up the rankings, but I still think that Hangman Page needs to be given that opportunity. But for guys like Wardlow, for guys like MJF, for some of the guys that are at that upper mid card level who certainly want to be main event players, it's got to be a little frustrating to see that the talent pool is starting to deepen. Um, you know, they ha- they only have a couple of shows right now, so being able to go out there and showcase your your talents gets a little bit harder every time they add somebody like a CM Punk or Brian Danielson, who has some name and credibility, because you got to know that those guys are going to get some spotlight over mm-hmm. other guys. Mm-hmm. So as their contracts start to expire with AEW, you got to think that WWE is going to try and go after some people. And you got to think that, and I know people are going to say, oh, those people would never leave. Never say never in pro wrestling. A lot exactly. of people probably said Brian uh, Danielson would never leave WWE or any of the other guys that decided to. Or CM um, Punk would return to wrestling after right. 2014. Right. So as these contracts start to expire and as WWE starts to go after them and and rightfully so, to be honest with everybody, there's going to be people that'll say, oh, it'll never happen. There's going to be a couple of guys that do go to WWE, I would imagine. Right. Um, right. It's just a matter of who are they going to be? Right. Now, let's head on to the the main show itself. Let's get back to the beginning. We bring up guys that left WWE and came to AEW. One of those guys is Miro, and his character, the Redeemer, has been very, very good. He's been dominant in his TNT Championship defenses. Until last night, Eddie Kingston playing this story of he knows his weakness, he's going to expose it and beat Miro. I thought it was a very good story, a very good opening matchup, in my opinion. And we said the over and under seven and a half minutes end up being almost twice that time, Ralph, where it, it was did. 13 and a half minutes. I knew it was going to go over. I knew it. It wasn't going to be a five-minute squash, but tell you what, it was a physical match. You saw the bruising on Mero's, uh his chest there from when he was getting chops and chops and chops from Eddie Kingston. They were pretty vicious. I thought this was a very good opening match. Very good. Yeah, I, I got to agree. I was certainly off on the amount of time that this match was going to go, but it was definitely a good match for Miro. Uh, Eddie Kingston looked good in it too. So uh, yeah, definitely a good way to start off the night. Were you upset that we did not get Lana to debut here in this spot? Uh, of the people that debuted last night, she uh, probably would have been forgotten. So if she intends to go to AEW, then you know that can happen in the future. I wasn't disappointed though, no. Miro's doing fine by himself. Exactly. He doesn't necessarily need Lana, CJ Perry, whatever you want to call her. But I think eventually she'll be there to to be by his side, especially if he keeps mentioning her uh, in his promos. But obviously, very good match. Very physical to start off the show. Another physical match followed right after that. That was Minoru Suzuki 
or excuse me, that was John Moxley uh, against Satoshi Kojima, and Minoru Suzuki um, confronts John Moxley after the match, and this was a very good match, a very f- good physical match. But I got to admit, I popped out of my couch, off my couch, when I heard the music and I saw the graphic. The King Minoru Suzuki come out. I was like, "F yeah!" And my wife's like. Who the hell is this guy? I'm like, it's Minoru Suzuki. This guy's a badass. He's like one of the toughest guys in wrestling. I'm so excited. I tweeted out, please tell me we're getting this match on Dynamite this Wednesday. And guess what? We're getting this match Wednesday on Dynamite, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think that this was certainly a surprise for the hardcore fans, uh, something that they're going to be into, something that they can look forward to on Wednesday. But Um, The match itself was good, definitely better than I anticipated it being because, you know, if you're not really a hardcore fan and you didn't know uh, who this guy was going into the match there, then you you probably weren't going to be all that into it. But it definitely was stiff, definitely a good match back and forth between both of them. And then obviously the surprise at the end, which, you know, it's going to be hard to to top a night as far as surprises are concerned, because it doesn't get much better uh, than it does, you know, by comparison to last night. But uh, this was a really good first surprise for the fans there. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree. And if you're a New Japan Pro Wrestling fan and you follow Minoru Suzuki, you know the physicality he's going to bring. And he, I don't want to say Haku-level toughness, but he's up there. He's one of the toughest son of a bitches in the wrestling ring. And what we're going to see Wednesday, if you never saw the match between him and uh, John Moxley in New Japan from 2019, Go watch, or was it 2020? Either way, go find it, go watch it. It was a fun match, and you won't be disappointed on Wednesday. But let's head on to the next match, Ralph. It was the women's championship match, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, against Chris Statlander. I'll admit this was probably the match going into the night that I probably had the least intrigue for. But I got to say, I think this was both Britt Baker and Chris Statlander's best matches in AEW. They were really good. No, I don't think there was a single botch except for maybe that that suplex off the top. But Chris Statlander, you know, did a very good job. She recovered that very nicely. And you got to give credit to your boy Orange Cassidy there for showing some oomph at the end, trying to get Chris Statlander into the ring. It even it even popped Tony Schiavone on commentary. Well, it got the fans into it, too. You know, because you don't normally see that from Orange Cassidy. And that's something that I touched on. You know, he's going to have to show maybe a little more emotion if he's going to be this guy that a lot of fans want him to see or want to see him end up being, whether he ends up, you know, main eventing or being at that level. But we're not talking about Orange Cassidy right now. We're talking about Britt Baker and Chris Statlander. And I do agree. I thought this match was very good. Um, I like the back and forth action. They had a lot of good spots where they were trying to transition between submissions um, and pinfalls. And there were some, some, I think Chris Statlander did a 450 off the top rope at one yep. point, which she missed. Um, I, I like this match a lot. Um, Britt Baker continues to be the most over, certainly most over woman in AEW or maybe in all of pro wrestling right now. And also one of the most over wrestlers in, all, in pro wrestling right now. So uh, the future is bright for her because, you know, you talk about people becoming free agents at some point. WWE is going to go after her, I'm sure, and throw a lot of money her way. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, just in terms of what they did last night, definitely a very good match. Yeah. And you got to you got to admit, Ralph, as a big Adam Cole fan as you are and not knowing yet that Adam Cole was going to be there, you had to have popped for that Pittsburgh sunrise that Britt Baker put up. 
I absolutely did. And you know what? I was actually thinking to myself, between her and Adam Cole, just having like a shtick that's so over, the Adam Cole baby, along with the crowd and the DMD thing, I mean, that's that's just money. That's like branding. That's like marketing 101. That's just shit you put on a t-shirt that's going to sell out the door, like just like this Yes t-shirt. Um, those two, kudos to them. That's like an, an amazing power couple in wrestling right now. Yeah, not not just those t-shirts that you bring up. How about these t-shirts behind me? These Squared Circle Psychobabble t-shirts, part of our merch store. You get 10% off uh, our merch store. Link in the description. Use the promo code SCPB10. Shameless plug for the Squared Circle Psychobabble. But let's, uh, let's move on here, Ralph, to what I think was hands down the match of the night. And I texted you right before this match. And I was like, the pace of this show is good. Three matches in, yeah. already, already, only an hour in after the first three matches. You're probably going to get done by three and a half hours. Very good pacing. I just hope that this match doesn't ruin it. And while it was a long match, these guys, holy crap, man. They brought it. And it wasn't the spot fest that we got from their ladder match two years ago. This had the crazy spots. But it told an amazing story. They found a way to get the Young Bucks to get um, Brandon Cutler involved, even though he couldn't get in the cage with the, the thumbtack sneakers, the, the blood on Penta's face through the mask, mm-hmm. you know, him trying to protect Ray Phoenix, the, the dive off the top of the cage, the Canadian destroyer off the top rope. I mean, there was a lot, a lot. And the crowd was so invested in the Lucha Brothers. And that is just that's what you want to see from a crowd. You don't want to, I mean, yes, they did the This Is Awesome chant, but they were chanting Lucha Brothers. I think there was an F the Young Bucks chant at one point. They were calling the Young Bucks a-holes. That's what I love from a crowd. They were they cheered the, the faces, they booed the heels, and they told an amazing story easily. The match of the night. I got to agree, you know, and especially for, for two teams like this that a lot of people will... Be so quick to point out, oh, it was just a spot fest or however, however you want to analyze the match. I mean, one, the, the pace of the night overall was very good from beginning to end. I never got to the point where it's like, you know, looking at the clock and I'm like, damn, this is a long show. Um, and this match was one of those matches where you get a little nervous, like, OK, are they going to overstay their welcome? Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't. You know, they delivered in the ring big time. They went back and forth, which is what you'd want to see from supposedly the two top tag teams in AEW. Um, I think it was certainly the right call with the title change because I think we predicted all the title matches going the way that we thought they'd go. Yes, we did. Going. Um, but if there was one team that that deserved to win and was so over to the point that the crowd was just going nuts, it was the Lucha Brothers. Um, them getting that big comeback at the end was awesome. The fans were going nuts. Uh, yeah, I, I got to agree. This was definitely the match of the night in my mind. And, you know, for anybody that listens to Jim Cornette, and I, I'm, you know, there may be few and far between that actually follow him and follow our podcast too, but he always touched on a couple of things about the Attitude Era. One of them being that, you know, with like a guy like Steve Austin or with the mud hole kicking and mm-hmm. things like that, it didn't matter because the fans were so invested. If it wasn't good, people were going to buy into it. So whether this match delivered or whether the night delivered in ring, I think AEW was getting to the point where the fans are just invested and, right. and if fans are willing to see through things that 
you know, theoretically, oh, well, the Irish whip was supposed to be this and the hole didn't look this way and it's not supposed to. If you're enjoying it and the fans are into it, sometimes those things don't matter. Um, and, you know, this was a good example of even if it didn't work in ring to the purist, um, it was still very good and entertaining and the fans were into it. Yeah, so that's what matters. I totally agree. And I think what really set the mood of this match to really put behind the Lucha Brothers was that entrance. And listen, I'm not a fan of, you know, hip hop music and rap and, you know, uh, you know, the Spanish speaking music, whatever. But that was an awesome, awesome entrance. And the crowd were so invested into that entrance. I'm like, this match is going to be the match of the night just from that entrance alone. And they delivered. And the pop of the night, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I think the pop of the night was when they hit the BTE trigger on Penta and he kicked out and Ray Phoenix avoided the three count. The crowd blew up. Yep. That was a lot of people thought that's where the match was going to end. Cause I've certainly was like, okay, well the young bucks are winning this match now. Yeah. Um, but it didn't happen. No. And like, I, I, you could like feel the crowd deflate. And even I w- felt a little deflated. Like, this is how the Young Bucks are going to win. Ugh. What, what a yeah. low point way to uh, end this awesome match. And then Ray comes out of nowhere and wins. And it's just a great match. And I obviously, and uh, in our community poll, I think it was like 78% said that this was the match of the night. So. Easily, easily the match of the night. But let's move on to another big moment here. Uh, we talk about people leaving WWE, coming to AEW. Ruby Soho is now All Elite. And not only is she All Elite, Ralph, she becomes the Joker in the Casino Battle Royale and wins the damn thing. She's not even in AEW five minutes. She's already booked better than she was in WWE. <laughs> She certainly is. And she came out to the right theme song. You know, when I was growing up, that was probably one of the first albums I bought outcome, the wolves by rancid. So anybody who is not familiar with that album, check it out. Um, very Mm -hmm. good album. I got to admit though, I got to admit, like I could not, I didn't put the name and the song together until the song came up on the entrance for her. I was like, how did you not know that? I don't know. Like as a, as a former radio DJ too, like I should have known that. And I'm like, Wow. I, I feel yeah. stupid not knowing that. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then singing, and now the song's stuck in my head ever since she came out. Yeah. So for any wrestling fan that, that's into that type of music, or even if, even if you're not, that is a very good album. Um, but no, she, she debuted. The, the, the crowd popped huge. And again, another surprise of the night. Um, I think a lot of people were anticipating this. But at the same time, the fans were into it and to see her make her debut and win the match and know that she's going to go on to challenge for the, the title. That's got to be encouraging for anybody who maybe didn't get booked the way they felt they should be booked in WWE and does end up going over to AEW. So um, good for her. Do you think she dethrones Britt Baker? I don't think so. No, I think if, no, I think if anybody's going to do it, I still think Thunder Rose is the one to do it. But at the same time, like I said the last time recorded, I still don't think that they take the title off her anytime soon. I wouldn't. Well, it depends. I think that match is going to happen at the New York show. And if you're already putting Ruby Soho in that match and her debut on on All Out, when you have all these other big things happening, I feel like you kind of have to have Ruby Soho beat Britt Baker. And, you know... I think that leads to who becomes the next 
AEW Women's Champion after that, and that's Jade Cargill, who had a little bit of an impressive showing here. I think, uh, what was it? Was it Red Velvet that she hoisted uh, over her head and um, threw her over the top rope onto like two refs and two women on the outside? So it makes a lot of sense. If you're leading to Jade Cargill eventually becoming the Women's Champion, Ruby Soho could be the one that she beats uh, to win that title instead of Britt Baker. Yeah, I mean, that that would be a good way to protect Britt Baker. Um, you know, and even if she did lose the title, again, she's one of those, one of the few individuals in wrestling right now that, you know, you, the title doesn't make her, so to speak. She doesn't need to be the champion right. to be over. So, I mean. Did anybody in your mind have a, a good showing in the Casino Battle Royale outside of Ruby Soho, Thunder Rosa, and Jade Cargill? I'm going to be honest. I didn't think the match was all that great. Um, not really. No. Yeah. I mean, outside of those three probably were the highlights of the night, but uh, you got a little bit from Anna Jay. You got a little bit from Ty Conti. I think those that needed to have a little shine did get a little shine, except for Hikaru Shida, like getting eliminated fairly early in the night and not really showcasing her as someone that was the longest reigning women's champion. Now, Kind of an afterthought, which is kind of sad because I, I love Hikaru Shida. But, you know, when you have all these other stars in the making, people get put in the back burner. She's unfortunately one of them. But let's move on to the next match here, Ralph. It was one that I think we disagreed on in our prediction show uh, on Saturday. And that is Chris Jericho versus MJF. And it looked like you were going to be right, despite the Aubrey Edwards missing the foot on the rope, but here comes Paul Turner actually being a referee for once and actually pointing out something that the ref should have pointed out yeah. and said, no, one, two, then the foot got on the rope. And they restarted the match, and Chris Jericho wins with the Walls of Jericho. Lion Tamer taps out MJF, and his in-ring career stays alive. I thought the match was decent. Uh, I love the, the story that was being told. I don't know if I really like the way they went with the finish. I felt like they went too much to try to protect MJF in this case. And I think maybe they could have gone a different way. Obviously, Wardlow came back. You thought maybe that would have been the way to do it. But I guess they prolonged that a little bit more and let that water simmer a little bit before we get Wardlow turning on MJF. But overall, I thought it was a decent match. Yeah, I, I mean, this was certainly a different pace, and I think that the crowd was a little deflated because, as we just talked about, it came on the the heels of Ruby Soho making her debut. So um, it was a little bit slower, which isn't unexpected for for Jericho or even a guy like MGF who usually works, you know, a more old school style, if you want to put it that way. Right. Um, but he did have the moment where he did the backflip, which mm -hmm. was pretty cool. Um, he sold his back throughout the entirety of the match, which led to the finish. Um, I will say this when they restarted the match, the crowd got really into it. And yes. granted that was only like what a minute at most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That really kind of breathed new life into this match and gave the, the fans the, the moment that they were kind of hoping for. And they kind of, they erupted for Jericho when he won. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I think it was, it's certain, whatever they were trying to do with that restarting of the match, it worked in their right. favor. So now, to my understanding, the person that did Jericho's entrance is his actual guitar player in Fozzie. If that's the case, holy crap. 
Like that was uh, you play guitar. I don't play guitar. I don't play any instruments. So I don't know. But was he missing chords or something like it did not sound like the, (laughs) the, the, the song is supposed to sound right. I think here's what it is. First off, Rick Boogs did the same thing with Shinsuke Nakamura in the beginning. When you're trying to do like the, like he's probably so used to doing the rhythm and the guitar chords, but now he has to do the vocal melody and he probably doesn't know it like verbatim that quick. And now you're doing this in front of 20,000 people. It's freaking nerve wracking. So you are going to miss a couple notes there. And, Obviously, probably not what you should do. And I think it sucks even more that there's no backing music behind him. There's no, yes. like, the rest of Fozzie wasn't there. If Like, if I were Tony Khan and I were to redo that entrance again and book that again, i just have Fozzie out there and let Jericho sing along and, like, have the fans and, like, make it like a mini Fozzie concert instead of just having the guitarist play the vocal melody. And I, I think it's just... It's not the part that he's known to play over and over again. So the possibly the nerves got to him because let, let's face it, Fozzie's not exactly a band that's playing in front of the now arena. They're playing more smaller venues. So he might have got a little uh, culture shock there too. Well, I and I think the other thing that didn't certainly didn't do him any favors is he's used to having, as you pointed out, an entire band behind him. He's got a drummer who essentially is dictating the tempo, correct, to this yep. point? Yep. And he's got Jericho or a lead singer who, who you know, they're supposed to all be on key. The and you got a bunch of people all singing. Over the pla- yeah, the yeah, crowd exactly. was all over the place. So I'm sure that threw his timing off. So, yeah, it didn't come across great on pay-per-view. It didn't make or break the night. But I was like, okay, uh, is this actually the guitarist from Fozzie? Something's off here, but... Um, Anyway, yeah. it 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 didn't steal from Jericho's win. I'll put it to you that. No, way. no, it, wasn't it didn't. A highlight of the night. No, it wasn't. But let's move on to, I think the match everybody was anticipating heading into this night. It was not the main event. So Ralph, you called it. You got it right. CM Punk, after seven long years, has this match with Darby Allen. He ends up winning. So you got that one right too. No, I said Darby Allen. Oh, you winning. said Darby was going to win. I had I CM did. Punk. That's right. So I got it right. So I got that part right. You got where it was going to be on the card right. What were your thoughts on CM Punk in his first match in seven years? Uh, I was watching it with my wife because that was the one thing that she wanted to see happen. Punk come back. Um, I thought he was extremely nervous given the way his face looked and the his mm-hmm. mannerisms coming out. Mm-hmm. But I think that once they got past the initial opening, we got the old CM Punk back. He hasn't been wrestling for seven years. Uh, I thought that he looked really good. I thought that the match had a good pace to it. Again, you got to remember, CM Punk comes from a different era. Um, if you want to put it that way, he's diff- he works a different style. But I like the way that Punk was able to work his style. Darby Allen, I've said this before, for a guy that's 170 pounds, has to be the hardest hitting 175 pounder. Uh, in AEW or maybe wrestling. He mm-hmm. he lays his shit in thick. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a stiff match at moments. I thought it was good. I thought that the match overall was very good. I thought Punk looked good. And um, yeah, I, I thought that the, the fans got what they wanted in the outcome. And I, I think I've said this before too, but Darby Allen easily has the best Tope Suicida uh, anywhere in wrestling. Easily. Like, I think literally everyone should stop doing the Tope Suicida and just let him do it because he's the only one that actually does it 
smooth through the ring, hits it with impact. Doesn't look like his feet hit the ropes or he's landing, you know, with his feet touching the floor. He just does it so elegantly, but yet so vicious at the same time. He's just like a 175-pound torpedo. And I got to agree with you there. Like, for his size, he definitely lays it in there, and they did a fantastic job in this match. Given the circumstances, I felt like with Punk, it was the same thing that we saw with uh, Christian Cage. It wasn't a five-star classic. He still had to get his bearing set, but once he did, there it is. And I think we're yeah, just—he just needs more repetition. Yeah, and with Darby, I, he's just one of those guys that he can lose however many times, and I don't ever really see him losing anything with the fans because they could always build him back up. He's always going to be the underdog because he's smaller than just about you know ninety percent of the roster, I would think. Outside even of Marco Punk, Stunt. <laughs> Yeah, and even even Punk isn't like one of those guys, like he's not a muscle-bound guy or like a, a, a jacked-up bodybuilder type, but he's certainly smaller than Punk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Darby, even though he lost, I don't think he loses anything in this. Um, so I, I think he'll be fine. And we'll see what happens with Punk. I'm interested to see what his next feud's going to be. Do you think they hinted the heel turn a little bit at the end where Sting comes out, he's shaking hands, and Punk... Maybe it was a little tentative, but, it, you know, eventually they got the moment where he's shaking hands. They shake hands with Sting. And I think there, I think there's still a story to be told with these three. Perhaps it ends up with Sting versus CM Punk. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sting said that he wished he could have shared the ring with with Punk. I don't know if I'd be interested in that. I don't know how many fans would be interested in that, but. I think I always thought Punk worked better as a heel anyway. So if he does end up turning heel, mm-hmm. fine by me. Right. Now, do we have to go over Paul White versus QT Marshall? Uh, nope. All right, then. We're going to the main event. Kenny Omega retains the AEW World Championship against Christian Cage. I, I got to admit, I think because of we know there's a surprise coming at the end of this match. We know Kenny Omega is going to win. It sucks for Christian Cage, but... I just could not get into this match. You knew Kenny was winning. You knew something was going to happen after the match. So while it was a good match, you, you can't get invested into it. And that's kind of the reason why I said this probably shouldn't have been invented. You got to go with Punk. But obviously we know what happened at the end. So it, it made sense. But I, I feel bad for Christian Cage in, in this moment. He, he finally gets the main event like a big pay-per-view, like as close to a WrestleMania and like he's he's an afterthought. Uh, I mean, he's an afterthought because of the appearances and because of the debuts and, and things of that right. nature. So uh, the match itself, I thought was good. I thought the outcome was predictable. I, I think most people felt like Kenny Omega was going to win. As soon as I saw Kenny win and grab the mic, I felt like we were going to get some type of surprise. I didn't know if it was going to be Adam Cole or Brian Danielson, but we ended up getting both. And that's the one thing I'd be a little wary of if I'm AEW because, you know, debuting wrestlers and guys deflecting and things of that nature, that can't be the norm. Um, We see that all the time with the Royal Rumble. Fans get deflated because all of these rumors start on the internet and everybody's supposed to come back. Kenny Omega was supposed to be in the Royal Rumble. CM Punk. Those things happen all the time and fans get deflated and disappointed when those people don't show up. Mm Mm-hmm. So if I'm AEW, the one thing I'm a little wary of is the fact that you don't want to set a precedent that at every single pay-per-view, you're going to get a debut or somebody that's going to come out. Um, Because one, it can take away a little bit from like main events like Kenny Omega and Christian. 
but two, you kind of set yourself up for situations where fans can be disappointed if people don't show up. Um, so, but other than that, I thought the main event was very good. I thought we got the surprises at the end. Um, overall, I thought the show was awesome. This was one of the most fun shows wrestling wise that I've seen in a really, really long time. Yeah. I mean, from beginning to end, there really wasn't a dull moment in the show. Like I think everything delivered and everybody got what they wanted or were expecting. And sometimes that's just what you need. That's just what you need from a wrestling show. And you know, I mean, we've seen several tweets on on Twitter from even big name guys and and journalists and wrestlers that are just like, "AW just gave you what you want, and that's just what you need." And yeah. that that's something WWE has not really done in a long, long time. And even when they do, they find a way to f it up months later. Yeah, it's like, oh well, we're gonna take the title of this guy and make it super complex, and don't worry. Six months down the road, you're going to get what you want. And it's like, no, just just deliver. Not every time, but maybe just a little bit. That's all that fans want is to be engaged, be happy with the outcomes, make it fun. And AEW right now is fun. And mm-hmm. it's fresh and it's got a buzz about it. How long they can sustain that, we'll see. Um, because now it gets much more complicated. You got all these big names. You got a lot of talent. How do you book them week in, week out? How do you write creative week in, week out now for two shows? Um, so that's going to be the thing that is going to be their test in the next coming months and maybe even years. Right. I, I totally agree. But let us know in the comments what you guys thought of All Out. What was the match of the night? What you think of CM Punk? And what you think of the debuts of Adam Cole and Brian Danielson? And don't forget to share this over social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SCPB Podcast. Subscribe, hit that bell, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble.